Welcome to Big Tent Radio on Radio Boise, KRBX 89.9 FM Caldwell, Boise. And uh, I'm your uh, host today, Luke Fowler, here with my co-hosts, Jackie Kettler and Charlie Hunt. And we're all from the School of Public Service at Boise State. And we have an amazingly exciting show for you. Um, and this week we're kicking off our year-end review, we'll call it, a series of episodes that we're going to do for the next couple of weeks. Looking back at the exciting and sometimes scary times that 2019 was before we bring in 2020 in a brand new decade. Um, and so uh, we're going to talk about, uh, I guess, the, the theme of our, our show is uh, change in leaders, right? Because there's kind of been a lot of uh, change in leadership um, that has had some interesting implications, uh, at least some interesting storylines throughout this year. Um, and so we're going to start with the, the national level, looking uh, at Congress. Um, and so it was about this time last year that we knew that the Democrats had taken back control of Congress um, and so that we were getting a new Speaker of the House, new committee chairs. Um, and so uh, as a result of that, we've seen a lot of interesting things happen, right? Yeah, I'd say we sure have. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the 2018 elections and for Congress uh, were, you know, I think even exceeded sort of median expectations for what Democrats might have even hoped for. Uh, they gained a really sizable majority in Congress, uh, allowing them to sort of be this more effective check on President uh, Trump. And that was a lot of what they what they ran on. And of course, along with that came uh, you, you know the the reelection of Nancy Pelosi as Speaker of the House, and, which was contested. Oh, it was. There's no doubt about it. Like there, the you know the early part of the year, there was a lot of sort of hemming and hawing among the Democrats of you know oh well you know Pelosi was you know no one really argued that Pelosi wasn't an effective speaker when she used to be Speaker the first time uh, under President Obama, but. Uh, you know, a lot of the talk was about, well, we need a new generation of leadership. It's time to sort of uh, pass the torch to someone yeah. new. And a more progressive one. I think that, you know, it was, the, it was that progressive uh, wing of the party that was really kind of pushing for more young, diverse and progressive leadership. So has that decision aged well? Um, looking back, what's happened the last year, um, that conflict's kind of going away. But w- what's your impression? Do you think people are happy with Pelosi as speaker, at least the, on the Democrat side at this point? You know, there are, there are always going to be uh, dissenters, and there are some good reasons to dissent. I mean, I think I think the generational leadership question is one that is still on the minds of a lot of Democratic voters. I mean, we're seeing this in the primary as well. But I think most people tend to agree that Pelosi has been very effective, both in terms of, you know, there was, there was specifically a lot of questioning of her strategy to delay the impeachment process, and sort of, you know, progressives were really wanting to get on that and hoping that she would not slow walk it. And she did. And, you know, I, I think for the most part, we'll see how impeachment plays out. But to, uh, I think people tend to agree that she's done a pretty effective job. And she uh, seems quite popular among Democrats. Oh, yeah. I think I think she's, you know, not necessarily the favorite of of the most progressive part of the party. And she's not necessarily the favorite of the most moderate wing of the party. But, you know, she has a lot of experience sort of herding cattle as you have to do when you're the speaker and uh you know obviously not a ton of legislation has been passed and enacted because of the republicans running the senate and and holding the presidency obviously but house democrats have consistently passed a lot of bills that line up with what they ran on in 2018 of course these haven't become law but you know i think pelosi has tried to put together 
a kind of leadership package that has demonstrated what I think the Democrats were hoping to when they ran uh, and, and got that big win in 2018. And I also said that um, Pelosi's gotten a lot of, I mean, good press for, uh, or complimentary press for how she's played her hand in response to, to President Trump and some of the things he's done. And honestly, gained the upper hand in a lot of times where he she could have very easily lost mm-hmm. and been embarrassed by Trump because he's somewhat good at doing that, right? But pushing people into corners and setting up these situations where it's always lose-lose, and she's managed to come out of those very well. Now we'll see how, like you said, how impeachment plays out the next year and whether um, and who ends up winning out of that. But uh, she has uh, done fairly well as speaker in in a lot of these kind of metrics that we might look at. Well, and as Charlie mentioned, that effectiveness, I think her strategy is kind of a key part of why she is considered effective. Well, and I think a good demonstration of this, even before impeachment, was, you know, we forget because it was so many months ago, but Pelosi, you know, came back into power under this sort of uh, shroud of the government shutdown, which had lasted over throughout through the you know Christmas and New Year's holiday, and it was really a stalemate. And uh, you know after the Democrats a year earlier had not come off so great after that that short government shutdown, uh, you know most people seem to agree that Pelosi, you know got pretty much everything she wanted out of that and president trump emerged with not that much um and so and so i think you're right luke that that that's uh, strategy has sort of gone to her benefit for sure yeah and so uh Nancy Pelosi was not the only one that came into power with the the switch in parts and control uh, of Congress, and uh, there's a lot of notable committee chairs that are that are now uh, taking control. But um, one of them that that stands out is Adam Schiff, right? Um, and and some of the impacts that he has had, um, namely being the the face of, of impeachment in the last several months. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I, I think Schiff is is an interesting example, particularly because he has a long time. Uh, bond and friendship with Nancy Pelosi that sort of goes beyond politics, actually. Um, One interesting fact about Schiff is that he was first elected in 2000. He unseated a Republican incumbent, and he was... Uh, you know, strongly supported by Pelosi, who was already big in California politics. And one of the main reasons he was able to unseat that opponent, uh, 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 Representative uh, James Logan, who was a Republican, is that Logan had had a very uh, prominent spot for the Republicans in the Clinton impeachment process, and he faced a lot of backlash for that, and so Schiff sort of rode in and and was able to win. And so um, I think, you know, Schiff has risen in the ranks, and Pelosi turned to him this year and basically said, you know, uh, uh, there's been sort of, we've been waffling on impeachment, we're not sure where we want to go with it, and so especially once this Ukraine story, uh, you know, really, really kind of kicked into high gear in August and September, Schiff took the reins and I think, you know, at least for, at least Democrats seem to broadly agree that he did a really effective job or- orchestrating those hearings over the past few weeks. There does, I mean, you mentioning Schiff's kind of how he came into Congress does raise questions for whether Democrats could face some potential losses, mm-hmm. potential losses um, because of impeachment now. Oh, I think so, for sure. I mean, the, if you think they're not thinking about that this whole time, I mean, it's uh, you do have a couple of Democrats who are sort of wavering, but uh, you know, we'll we'll talk more about impeachment in the next couple of weeks, but. Uh, especially as, you know, the House is set to vote on these articles of impeachment next week. And so, um, you know, we'll see how many Democrats they end up losing if I think it's unlikely, but if they end up picking up any Republicans uh, other than the independent Justin Amash. But 
you know, I guess I guess we'll find out just how effective uh, Schiff was as as the chairman of the Intelligence Committee this year. Yeah, and I mean that's that's been the big gambit with impeachment because how the trial plays out in the Senate is really. I mean, it's there's there's going to be clear winners and losers, right? Um, if the American people side with uh, the Democrats on this, I mean, they're going to pick up tons of seats in, in the prime, in the 2020 midterms. Mm-hmm. Um, if the Republican, if the American people side with Republicans and President Trump, it's going to be the opposite. So, I mean, we're likely to see carnage in the 2020 midterms, or there might be 15 other amazing stories and we completely forget that impeachment happened because that seems to occur in American politics these days as well. Amazing would be the word for it. Yes. Uh, So we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and talk uh, stuff at more of the uh, state and local level. So we'll be back in just a minute. Hi, this is Cecil Baldwin from Welcome to Night Vale. You're tuned in to Radio Boise, your source for music and public affairs programming in Boise and beyond. All right, we're back on Big Tent Radio and Radio Boise, and we're talking uh, leadership change in 2019, looking back at all the exciting and, and amazing things that have happened this year. And we just got done talking about uh, the change in Congress and some of, and some of the things that have resulted from that. But now we want to uh, shift perspectives and, and look at what's going on at the state and local level. Namely, we got a, a new governor for the first time in a long time in Idaho, um, and Brad Little, even though he was a, a kind of a mainstay of Idaho politics there for a while, he is in the top seat, um, making some choices uh and so we have our chief state and local uh politics uh, correspondent over here uh jackie kettler that's now in the hot seat to answer mine and charlie's questions what uh what if anything have we seen that's that's different now that uh, brad little's in charge as opposed to butch otter yeah i think it's really interesting um even though you know little had served as lieutenant governor to otter for a long time i think there were a lot of people um a lot of organizations and, and political activists and things that were really interested and kind of excited for some for a change up and for some change in focus and one thing that governor little brought with him into office is a real concern about education and public education in the state of idaho so we saw a lot of focus and attention played on education issues over the session. Do we think that, uh, you know, in terms of sort of his governing style, uh, you know, would you say that there's, there have been any particularly big differences between Little and Otter or maybe between Little and some of maybe his other sort of Republican challengers that he had had last year? I mean, it, one thing that stood out in the 2019 legislative sessions like across the country was that um, Little um, was a a bit more pragmatic in office than some of the other Republican governors who tended to be much more kind of ideologically and and conservative driven, not to suggest that Little wasn't looking to pass, you know, sign off on conservative policy, but much more looking out for like, you know, good governance perhaps, which then led to things like the veto on the initiative bill. So uh, I've actually heard uh, from both, I mean, some people in the news media, but also people that uh, have worked with him on a personal level, I refer to him as a policy wonk, as yep. he's somebody that really understands the details of these policy um, at a high level. And so it's not, a, and kind of mimicking what Jackie said, so it's not uh, ideological, it's not, you know, about Republican partisanship, it's about making good policy. So I think that's one thing that he's really brought to the table is, is really thinking through and being really sophisticated in how we're making policy. Yeah, and he worked, like, r- really hard on this. And so when I took my students in the spring to the leg- legislature, 
legislature and they met with um, a Democrat legislator spoke to them and she was talking really kind of like, wow, you know, like he's working incredibly hard to go through, especially on some of the budget things that are quite complicated, which, of course, my students were like, whoa, like they're not in the same party. Right. And I'm like, no, no, they are not. (laughs) Yeah. And so, I mean, I think those kind of changes have definitely been noticeable. Um, Brad Little, I think, just has a different orientation to what his role in government is. And so I, I think some people like it. And I think some people would prefer the Butch Otter days. But, you know, it's kind of a mixed bag when you're when you're talking about this kind of drastic change after as long as Otter was in office. So, I mean, I arrived a little late to the party this year. I moved to Boise in August, so I missed sort of some of the I understand there were some sort of fireworks at the end of the legislative session. Uh how can we kind of review sort of how those played out and maybe what kind of role the governor might have had just sort of knowing that he's in the chair as opposed to someone else, maybe how the state legislature kind of responded and dealt with some of these hotter issues that have been going on, whether it's the Medicaid expansion or the initiative process. Well, the the House and the Senate kind of got into it near the end of the session to where there wasn't there were some issues in getting things passed or disagreements between the two chambers, which really, I think, defined a lot of what was happening at the end of the session, more so than kind of Little's um, role in it. Um, But we did see Little do things like um, veto um, the initiative bill that was proposed to make it more difficult to get ballots on the, you know, ballot measures, um, initiatives on the ballot. Um, And I, I think that that was something where it, you know, I it was interesting to watch kind of his reaction to it. Additionally, we had the administrative rules issue and where the legislature didn't end up end up signing off on the administrative the agency rules as usual because of some of those disagreements giving the governor's office a great deal of um, opportunity to review and strike down agency rules and so that's something the governor's office has been really involved and active on this year is reviewing and really getting rid of quite a few agency rules and in terms of sort of what's sort of to come next year in the in the state legislature, um, you know, one other major change in leadership that uh, we've seen just over the past week or so is uh, Matt Erpelding, the now former uh, Democratic minority leader, uh, you know, stepping down to take a different uh, position. And uh, we recently learned is being replaced by uh, another Democrat, obviously, uh, Ilana Rubel. Uh, you know, what kind of dynamic do we feel like that might change in the legislature, either in terms of sort of the relationship between Erpel, Erpelding and Speaker Bethke or, or any of these other any of these other kinds of relationships that matter in the legislative process? I mean, it's interesting. It sounds like there was that they were like Erpelding was working on like planning out some legislation, some proposals and things. And so it's interesting that there seems to be a little, you know, a little bit of surprise in some kind of 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 areas where not quite plan we weren't quite you know planning for this change so it will be interesting to see i mean the republicans have such a large majority right like they don't really have they don't need the democrats to sign off on things though there have been instances where the republican leadership has worked with democratic leadership to try to help get you know bipartisan support on things well and i think especially in state you know in states that are you know pretty heavily in one direction or the other in terms of party a lot of times that majority party has a lot of i mean i think we've observed it here a lot of splits within that party either between sort of ideological factions or factions in terms of style and in those kinds of situations, I do think the, you know, the minority party can start to play 
a real role. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what the new minority leader will be doing next year. Well, and the the last bit of change that we should talk about briefly before we have to end the segment, but you know it's good because we don't have a lot of things to talk about yet. Is uh, Boise's getting a new mayor in twenty twenty? Um, so any any things that we anticipate might might look a little different. And again, um, almost like uh, Brad Little and, and Butch Otter, um, it was kind of hard to differentiate what what Lauren McLean brought to the table as opposed to Dave Beter. Now clearly, uh, voters were more favorable of McLean and, and uh, voted her in on an overwhelming majority. But any ideas what we might be expecting out of her in 2020? Yeah, I mean, we've had 16 years, right, I think, of, mm-hmm. of Mayor Beter um, leading the city. So I think the first thing we're looking at is how much shakeup there is in the, in City Hall, right? Like how many people are, are leaving, who's coming into um top positions um, I think the the homeless um, ticketing you know case that's one place where we might look to see if there's a, a, a quick change in direction as well as plans on things like what happens now with like the library proposal and I wonder too sort of what this uh, even beyond sort of the policy what this means in terms of you know I, I, I think by the time we reached the runoff election, you know, it looked like, you know, McLean was probably going to win, but I don't think any of us really expected it to be quite so large a margin as it ended up being. And I guess I'm wondering, you know, what that portends in terms of what what broadly sort of, uh, you know, voters see as the future of Boise and what they what they want it to look like and what, if anything, uh, you know, unseating uh, Mayor Beter uh, might mean for that. So I'm interested to see how that plays out too. And I mean, I, th- I think it connects back to at least what we were talking about in the, the previous section uh, segment of trying to bring in some new blood um, mm-hmm. and just seeing change for, I hate to say it, the, the sake of change or just bringing in new perspectives and, and a younger generation that might um, like view things differently and have different connections to the community. And so, I mean, I, I think that was largely what part of this pushback was. And I think the other part was that a lot of voters in Boise saw Beter as the face of the economic changes and the growth that were going on um, mm-hmm. and not all the positive parts of that. I think there was a lot of people that are upset about the direction of Boise, namely this place is displacement and housing and homelessness and all of this type of stuff. And so um, he didn't do enough to own the positive parts. And so he was really kind of pushed with the negative parts okay. of all of that. And we also have two new city council members joining, oh, right? And yes. so so we, there will be interesting to see how much direction change there is for the city. All right. Well, we are uh, going to take uh, our final break, um, and then we're going to come back and talk about change in university leaders. So exciting stuff. We'll be back in just a moment. Hi, I'm Alex from Rubble Bucket, and you're listening to KRBX 89.9 FM Caldwell slash Boise, community radio for Boise and beyond. Early exposure to foreign language has proven as a beneficial key in child development. Boise Elementary Spanish helps children in the Boise School District begin learning Spanish at an early age. Boise Elementary Spanish currently offers Spanish classes at many elementary schools throughout the Treasure Valley. More information on tuition and availability can be found by contacting Boise Elementary Spanish at gmail.com or 208-850-7598. Once again, that's Boise Elementary Spanish at gmail.com or 208-850-7598. All right, we are back on Big Tent Radio on Radio Boise, KRBX 89.9 FM, Caldwell, Boise. And I'm Luke here with Charlie and Jackie, and we are having our special year-end review show we're starting it off. We're looking back at all the, the changes that have happened in 2019 in, in terms of leaders at the national and state level uh, and even the local level. And uh, the one place that uh, you know we tend to, to overlook or has not been nearly as big in the news is that we've also had a lot of leadership change when it comes to the univers- 
universities uh, in Idaho. Um, and this is this is kind of a big deal, um, particularly as we talk about Bob Custer, who was here for a long time, and Marlene Trump, who's, who's now replacing him, and some of the leaders at the other institutions here, and what that means for the future of higher education in the state. Um, so, uh, Charlie, Jackie, what are your hot takes on the situation? What do, what do our listeners need to know about these these new leaders and the changes that the, we can expect or have seen um, recently? Well, when I got here in August, I saw headlines, you know, big changes at Boise State, things like that. I assumed they were talking about me arriving on campus. I mean, we but, were, but... But, uh, you know, it, it's possible they were also talking about Dr. Trump. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I, I, I can't speak much to sort of how the change in leadership has affected the university, but... I do know that I've noticed quite a bit how just how popular Dr. Trump seems to be and, uh, you know, representing, I think, a pretty significant change in the in sort of the culture and what you would normally expect out of a university president and the kind of, uh, you know, the kind of energy she brings to public events and things like that. And one um, focus she's really had is that public engagement, really being out, really trying to communicate, not just with students, but the community across the state. She's traveled the state a lot. And I think that's breeding some goodwill among the broader, not just the Boise State community, but Idaho. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think I think Bob Custer was largely uh, loved in the Boise State community, but he'd been here a while. Um, And so uh, he'd kind of I I don't want to say had gotten a little static there, but uh, things had gotten kind of slowed down. Um, And so certainly uh, Marlene Trump has an amazing opportunity to to breathe new life and excitement around the university. But, you know, the one thing that I've noticed that she is um, doing a good job of it is Boise State has been on a tremendous path of growth, really since the 1960s, but certainly in the last 10 to 15 years. Um, and so I think one thing that she brings with her is a mentality of how Boise State needs to operate like a big university, because um, for the longest time we still operated like a small university like we were in 2000, but we're just not that size anymore. And so I think that's an important cultural shift that's going on in the way that we right. see ourselves both internally, but also how we see the processes and dealing with students, having conversations about diversity and inclusion. Sure. I mean, because we're not a small school of 5,000 students, we're you know, 25. 22, 25,000 now. And yet she's also still really focused on serving the population of Idaho and mm-hmm. trying to increase our connections with rural students, which I love, right? Like that it's yeah. it's this let's grow, but also let's remember our mission. Yeah. Well, and Jackie, I think you were speaking to, you know, how she's been going around the state and winning winning over a lot of a lot of goodwill. And I think that's sort of most demonstrable and sort of how she dealt with this I don't know if you want to call it a controversy that that sort of was over her head as she came in with the, with you know the um, this sort of block of Republican legislators sort of gunning for these kind of diversity and inclusion programs and and you know talking about the the costs associated with it um, you know in programs that were not instituted by Dr. Trump but that you know are still under hot debate across the country um, at any rate but. Um, you know, I uh, I've noticed a lot of the same legislators that signed on to that original letter um, have subsequently, you know, at least tolerated and in many cases actually praised her for sort of how she's been willing to engage them in conversation. And I think that's been a good example of, of that kind of leadership. We still do have a lot of interim leadership at the university. So I think it's still a little early to see, like, I think there's been really positive energy for like what is kind of concretely happening. It's still developing, right? It's still really early into her presidency so we're still kind of seeing what's happening but so far i think there's been really 
really positive reactions. Yeah, uh, I mean, again, uh, from the people I talk to across the university, everybody seems to believe that she was a good fit in continuing the the path that we've kind of already set for ourselves at Boise State. Um, and of course, the School of Public Service is integral integral to that. I can't say integral all of a sudden, but I do have to plug the School of Public Service because you know somebody has to do it. Uh, so. <laughs> All right. Uh, so there's also been change at the University of Idaho um, and Idaho State in terms of leaders as well. And so while we probably have a little less personal experience with that, um, any thoughts or comments about what's going on at the, those universities? Well, so University of Idaho is struggling with a pretty large budget deficit. And now and also we all universities have been asked to reduce their spending um, for and plan for that next year as well. But University of Idaho has a pretty um, a larger budget deficit they're struggling with. So their president new president's working on trying to address that, which is much more difficult than what, like, Dr. Trump came to here at Boise State. And so, you know, that's trying to figure out how you address pretty large budget deficits is a little bit more challenging. Well, and I think this sort of reflects a lot of, um, you know, even it's not unique to University of Idaho, and it's not even unique to Idaho. You know, we're seeing a lot of public, uh, you know, public universities, institutions across the country in a bunch of different states. Um, you know, there's earlier in this year, a, sort of a lot of turmoil uh, up in Alaska um, around sort of that budget situation. And so I think you see a lot of universities sort of whether they're going through leadership changes or not, trying to think of ways to to sort of uh, break through and establish, you know, a sustainable funding stream over the long term, especially as a lot of these universities are growing in some cases as much as we are. And we saw, I mean, today they announced that several of the the universities are going to have a tuition freeze for next year. And so that's been one way these public universities have been able to keep up fund, you know, funding, raise funding is through increasing student tuition when we haven't seen much increase from the state legislature's funding or the state government's funding of universities. Yeah, and so, I mean, just from the, the broader national scale, as Charlie pointed out, the things that are going on in Idaho are, are not unique to us. Um, there's a lot of talk about the uh, demographic crisis as, as it turns into the students, and as part of the Great Recession, people stopped having kids as much, so we're expecting a, a sharp decrease in high school graduates, which means fewer students available for the undergraduate part. Um, I saw a report recently that they expect in the next two dec- decades to for half of the four-year colleges in America to go out of business, I mean, essentially. Um, and so, of course, most of those are going to be small private at liberal arts universities. I mean, Harvard and the University of California system are going to be fine. Boise State should be fine. But it's going to be a lot of these other smaller universities that are going to be uh, kind of constrained or going to be really on the crunch of uh, finding out how they fit in. But I think this is more uh, of a larger part that we've talked about on the show many times, um, that battle over higher education is asking the question, where does the university fit into our society in modern America? And I think that's really difficult, uh, particularly as we look at how much Idaho is changing, how much the world around us is changing, and, and constantly asking that question, what is the purpose of our university? And I think one thing that Dr. Trump, uh, as Jackie pointed out earlier, does a good job of is remembering that we're here to serve the people of Idaho um, and not just our academic interests. And right, and so to try to balance all these things against each other ends up being a, a very difficult, complex conversation for us to have, but it's one that's worth having on a regular basis. Which is why that le- those leadership the positions are important, right? Mm-hmm. And it's why it's important to have something like a school of public service that uh, that is often reaching out to the community and and doing this kind of public outreach. So we're happy to be there for y'all. Yes, Charlie did a much better job of plugging the school of public service than I did, um, but I did it first, so everybody remember that. <laughs> All right, with that said, we have to wrap up today's show, but we will be back next week. We'll be talking about further year-end review stuff. Um, so please- I guess we really could be calling it decade-end review as well. Decade-end yeah. review? I could barely remember what happened in January.